0: Welcome to Unity of Tucson. I spent this week sitting on ministerial panels uh, to license brand new ministers. And there were 18 students that we were licensing this week. And it's the culmination for them of many years of study. Somebody had asked me, you know, well, well, how long have they been studying? I said, well, typically the minimum is six years of study to come to the point of this, of this week that, we, that in, 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 the, in the path, we call it our intensive week. And what I have found out is, while I thought it was intense when I went through it as a student, it's much more intense for those of us who are serving on the panels because we are consistently engaged in, the experience of it. Whereas, you know, when you're a student, you do your panel and then you walk away and you wait for all of your friends to do their panel. (laughs) Um, But basically what happens is the week starts off and we, we gather together. Now, this was all done virtually, which was also a very different experience because I've only done these in person in the past. Uh, usually at a retreat center, and it's a really lovely, like, we create this little bubble of experience in our retreat center, and uh, we get to, you know, we get to hug and and, and all of these lovely things that we just aren't doing right now. So we did this entire ministerial week, uh, ministerial intensive week, virtually. And so I was basically staring at a screen and working with these ministerial students all week long. It starts off the first day where seasoned ministers in the field um, we offer like a 45-minute workshop to e- to the students, and you know we s- th- there are workshops all day the first day. There were about one, two. There were about six of us who gave 45-minute workshops. So if you do the math on that, plus breaks and everything, I mean that's a full day. And then the second day. We as panelists, we as the seasoned ministers who are making our choices around who is going to be conferred the title of reverend, we watch them each give 10-minute inspirational talks. Now, a 10-minute talk is infinitely harder than getting up and speaking for 20 to 25 minutes. because you really have to get to your point. And so we watch 18 10-minute talks. Now, if you do that math, that's three hours without any breaks in between. So it's an entire day of just being saturated with this magnificent inspiration from all of these voices. And then the final days, we did three days of interviews. Each student gets an hour-long interview. And so if you do the math there, 18 students is 18 hours spread over three days, so it's basically, we interviewed six students each day, and at the completion of their interview, the three people who are sitting on the panel, we have this wonderful conversation with them, and then we say, okay, we need you to step out of the room, which I love, so the thing I love about uh, Zoom technology now is they've created this waiting room, so you can actually put people outside of the room, and then we have a discussion about it, and then we bring them back in, and one of two things happen. We either say, congratulations, Reverend so-and-so, you are officially licensed as a minister, or we have to have a very challenging discussion with them about the reason that we're not moving them forward. I've had to have that challenging discussion in the past, and gratefully, this past week, with these 18 brilliant minds, I did not have to have that discussion once, so I'm really excited that these 18 students all passed their panels, and they are all now set upon the world to live their ministry. It's a really special time in the life of anyone who has decided to move through this path to be able to step up and do what it is we do in ministry. And Not every minister has the intention of being what we call a pulpit minister, which is essentially what I do. I have chosen in my life that I want to be a senior minister in a community and I want to be the one who delivers the primary message every Sunday. Not every minister does that. And, and frankly, thank goodness, because we need the ministers who are doing the staff ministry work and the assistant ministry work and the work in passionate care. And, you know, we need those people. We need those people. And it's so many of these magnificent souls, that is their desire is to step up and serve in ways that are not just like this. There are two things that I explained to these students that I am deeply, deeply passionate about, irrespective of the type of ministry that any of us are moving into. That I think this is the way we actually engage the practical tools to change the world for the better, to create that magnificent world that I envision. These two things are spiritual community and spiritual education that i believe when we take the time to engage in spiritual community understanding that 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 word literally means a common unity. When we understand that we are living in spiritual community and the point of view becomes the equalizing understanding that we are that infinite divine power, which is why I firmly hold in my resolve this notion that I am God and so are you. When I I understand that that is the truth of all creation, then that spiritual common unity Changes the experience of the world. You know, and I'm not going to go down the path as I did last week of talking about all the craziness. That, well, I might go down. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow spirit to speak through me. I'm, it is not my intention, <laughs> right, in this moment to go down the path of talking about all the hardships that we are facing in this world with all of the, with all of the uh, protests in the streets, some of which have been turning violent, some of which are intensely peaceful. It is not my decision today to talk about that specifically, but I really, really want us each and every one of us to step into that notion that if we know who we are, which is why that tenet of my vision for ministry that I have taken, frankly, from my mentor, that tenet, remember who you are, is so important. When we remember who we are, we change the world. That's what it is to be in spiritual community, to be in common unity with the understanding that there is absolutely no separation between that which you are, the infinite creative energy that you are, and the infinite creative energy that I am. And when we understand that, life gets better and we can precipitate this notion, we can precipitate this idea through spiritual education. It is through spiritual education, I believe, that we develop spiritually-based life skills which is why it is also important to me that this entire New Thought philosophy not just be an activity of the mind, that it is an activity of deepening in our practice so that the practical application of spiritual principles becomes primary in our life. Practical application is the most important aspect of this entire philosophy to me. I don't care if you know all the words of wisdom that have ever been written. If we cannot put it into practice in our life, it doesn't matter. And you know how to put it into practice in, our, in your life? I'm going to tell you the secret. This is how you put it into practice in your life. I can say it in two words. Love only. Love only. Love only. Love is the energy of divinity. Love is God. In some fashion, all faith traditions teach that concept that love is God. God is love. There is absolutely no separation. Love is that impulse of creation. God is not something out there, God is that thing which is. PROPELLING US, THAT LIFE FORCE WITHIN EACH AND EVERY ONE OF US TO DO WHAT IT IS WE CHOOSE TO DO IN THIS WORLD, HOW MAGNIFICENT THAT NOTION IS. I BELIEVE THAT THERE ARE, YOU KNOW, I BELIEVE THAT THERE ARE PEOPLE, INCLUDING YOU, WHO MAY HAVE COME TO A UNITY CHURCH OR A RELIGIOUS SCIENCE CHURCH OR A DIVINE SCIENCE CHURCH OR A NON-AFFILIATED NEW THOUGHT CHURCH OF SOME SORT, TRYING TO FIND GOD, LOOKING FOR THAT THING, LOOKING FOR GOD because we have been raised with this notion that God is something out there, which is to be brought here. If we are open to it, if we are open to it, that is actually what we find. We find God within the New Thought philosophy. We find God within the principles of unity. We find God, but it's not in the church, it's not in the building, it is us. It is the magnificent interaction of spiritual community. It is that deepening understanding that love is the only power. We find that we are the power we seek. That's what the benefit for me of stepping into this philosophy and embracing this philosophy in my heart has been that I know who I am and I am the power that I was seeking. And then i will tell you the joke that i was dragged kicking and screaming into a new thought service the first time i ever went well kicking and screaming (laughs) see now there are going to be there there are people at tucson new thought who know what brought me to a to a service the first time so this will be news to perhaps most of the people in unity the reason that i went to my very first service at a New Thought church was because I was being set up. I was being invited there to meet a guy. <laughs> and I was very resistant to it at first because in my upbringing, I was like, I was not raised in church, and I had, a, I had a construct in my mind that was antithetical to what I understood church to be because I grew up as a gay man, and there's a, very, there's a rift with the understanding of what it is to be in religion and the gay community, there's a rift there, and so I had embodied that rift in my own and heart, and, and so it was not something that I thought I would ever do. Me go to church? Are you kidding me? No way! And so they finally convinced me, the person who was like, I know this guy, oh, you're gonna really like him. By the way, he's not my husband uh, now but I know, I know this guy, and you're going to really like him. You should really come meet him. I'm like, okay, well, okay, one Sunday's not going to kill me. So I go, and I sit down, and I met this guy, and we sat next to each other, and he was lovely, and like I say, he's not now my husband, so that clearly did not work out in the way that this person who was trying to set us up thought it would. But I will tell you, I did find the love of my life in that experience, because I found me. I found me. I found that love within myself, and as I was listening to the minister who was on stage that particular day, as I listened to the words that were coming out of that mouth, and knowing that they were hitting me, not on an intellectual level, although there was an intellect involved, as they were hitting me on a heart level, my life was magnificently changed in that moment. I found me, and I learned that I could begin to stand up and I could begin to stand out, and it was my birthright to live the most magnificent life I possibly could, and this is the power that each and every one of us has. The value of staying in that community, ultimately, is that Yes, it diverted what I thought my path was going to be, but it put me on the path of perfection. That path of perfection has brought me to this moment, right here, at this time, and in this space. And I've talked about the challenge of this particular experience of having to be virtual. But there's something that came up in the ministerial panels this week, that as I was engaged in this virtual experience there, and knowing that you know, we're all connected virtually on Sundays, and we are having this experience that is unusual, that I do not hold to the notion any longer that the quote-unquote brick-and-mortar church is dying. Because that's what a lot of people are saying. As you see attendance drop in spiritual centers and in churches all over the country, everyone is saying, "Oh, that model is dying. you have to find something new. That model is not going to be sustainable. You have to find something new. It has always been part of my ministry always that I do a that I present virtually as well as with people in the room, because I had hold, held on to that idea that the brick and mortar church was on its way out and that at some point it was become, going to become exactly what we're experiencing right now entirely virtual. I don't hold to that any longer because what this pandemic has proven is that there will always be a need for gathering spaces. There will always be a need for people to co-mingle in common unity, to be able to hug each other, to be able to be with one another. And it is a challenge. I get it. It is a challenge right now to not be able to have that experience. But that's gonna change. I don't know when, but it is going to change because this this model is not sustainable. That's what I've discovered. This model is not sustainable. It will always be part of what we do, but I think we need to be expanding the possibilities of what is possible and what is probable in terms of allowing people to come to their deepest understanding of their spiritual magnificence, whether it's in the room or online, it doesn't matter. Everything can be the experience of spirit. Everything can be church, everything. Walking the labyrinth out here, walking the meditation path, taking time in nature, every place you go, it is the church unto your life. And when we can meet in this room once again, how magnificent that will be. I want to encourage you to prepare your mind for the best life has to offer because we are in a period of transformation. We are crossing a threshold, which is one of the messages I heard from one of the students in their talk last Tuesday. We are in the experience of crossing. The threshold. We can, enlear- we can learn, and I think we are learning right here and right now to engage in that notion purposefully. We are experiencing right here and right now liminal space. That space in between, that space of discomfort, that space of the threshold, that space of transition. It is, it is not the subliminal it is not the superliminal. it is right in the middle we are deeply engaged in an experience of extended living in liminal space are you all comfortable with that because i'm not comfortable with it but sometimes the discomfort is required to allow ourselves to know what it is we would like to experience next. And in that liminal space, we get to make the choice around how we cross that threshold. I am living in, in in, in, easy for me to say, I am living in anticipation for what will be. But here's what I know, is that I will maintain myself in that liminal space, in that anticipatory space for what will be, as long as I have not yet let go of that which was. I think all humanity right now is experiencing a collective rite of passage because we have been forced to live in that liminal space, the space between. The expression of who we are, once we have crossed that threshold, the expression of who we are on the other side of this experience will be a shift toward something. That is guaranteed, it will be a shift toward something. And you know what's super exciting for me? We get to decide if that something is a better world or something else. When we step up, when we step out, when we move beyond that liminal space, who and what will we be? And can we engage in that new that, that new expression of who and what we will be, free of judgment of the way others are showing up in the way that they have crossed that threshold into who and what they are going to be. This month, the month of June, <sighs> it never fails. It just never fails. You know, I've said many times from this exact spot, I've said many times, I normally do not plan ahead in terms of what my theme is going to be or what my talk is going to be, much to the chagrin of everybody who are supporting me and trying to put a service together because I don't know what I'm gonna talk about on a Sunday, but what I do know is that this year, for some reason, I was compelled to step into making some choices well in advance, and so last December, I chose the theme for this month to be spirits in rebellion. Be careful what you wish for so this month is all about Spirits in Rebellion. And here's the thing, what it was intended to be was tapping into that nature of understanding that all who have preceded, each and every one of us who were involved in this new thought philosophy, they were the Spirits in Rebellion, that is the, that's, it's, so that it's actually the uh, name, uh, it's the title of the book that outlines the history of new thought. The book is called Spirits in Rebellion. And so I took that on, I said, I want to really engage in this understanding of what it is to be a a contemporary spirit in rebellion with the understanding that I have a connection to a history of spirits in rebellion. I I I am a fan of the notion that we are rooted in a rebellious nature. And the actual meaning is the history of new thought. The adjusted meaning, and I am stepping into a place where I am taking it on as an adjusted meaning, which is to say that that rebellious nature is is activating a conscious shift right here and right now, showing up as change in this world. We get to decide who we are in this shift. Are we the ones in our spiritually rebellious nature, are we the ones who will welcome a new world or will we be the ones who are fighting it? Will we be the ones who express more love, more light, more life, more compassion as we progress? Or will we regress in a combative way? I think that's part of what I see happening in the world right now, is that very paradigm. Are we going to progress or are we going to regress? Are we living our future, or are we being dragged by our past? I've seen so many combative stances this week. I have felt my own challenge in wanting to see the world in us-versus-them terms, but that is not who I have chosen to be. I have chosen to understand that irrespective of differences of opinion, differences of ideology, that every single person I encounter is God. That when I see you, all I see is the face of God. This world is comprised of infinite hues on the spectrum of experience. It wasn't that long ago. It was long ago enough now that I don't remember if it was from this stage or another stage, but it was sometime this year I I spoke about the expression of life being like a stained-glass window. All the hues of that window make up the beauty of life. All the hues of the window make up the beauty and the collective experience of magnificence. Without the collective, we simply become shards, incohesive and alone. Our work is to stand up, to stand out, and shine our light, and in shining our light, we can never diminish the light of others. It is impossible to diminish or dim others' light because the light is infinite. So you can shine your light, you can stand up, you can stand out in a way that supports the whole. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, I am part of this infinite cohesion that supports the whole? When we make that choice, we are actively living in integrity. Imagine this stained glass window behind me. It's so funny because I've never referred to it before. I love this, by the way even though I know that sometimes in the camera angle where I stand, it looks like I'm wearing a wizard's hat. (laughs) I love this. But imagine any part of that missing. It is no longer in integrity. So are you willing to be part of the cohesive whole in the stained glass window of life? Are you willing to live in integrity, to understand your nature, to remember who you are, to live that magnificent light? And this brings me than to the very first talk I heard on Tuesday, that first 10 minutes where I actually sat through that 10 minutes and I thought, oh, this student has set the bar very high for the 17 students who are following. In that 10 minutes, her entire talk was basically focused around the notion of what is ours to do in the world. And she asked this question, and I just loved the way that this question unfolded. She said, what is your verb? if we are living lives of activity, if we are living lives of action, what is your verb? How are you living a life of activity? What is the action of your magnificent life? Who do you choose to be, and in what fashion will you lead your life? Because she came to this notion when, you know, she was listening very attentively in class, I'm sure, and into all of the seasoned ministers who were working with her this past week, and she heard this, minister is not a noun minister is a verb. And when we take that to heart, when we as ministers take that to heart, then we cannot be anything but leading with love in every activity of our life. And it is ours to shine the light, to be the example, to be a way-shower in this world, to show how to lead with love. That is what we have committed ourselves to doing as ministers. That's what I believe. Other ministers may have a difference of opinion, and that's okay, but that's what I believe. What is it that we are going to do in standing up and stepping out? Are we going to lead with love? Will you gracefully move through that liminal space that we inhabit and emerge from this entire experience of a perception of challenge as a better version of yourself? Can you leave behind the things that do not serve you? no matter how comfortable those things were, because that's the reason we hold on to those things from the past, because we wrap themselves like a blanket, we're comfortable within them. Are you willing to let it all go, to let go of everything you thought you knew, to let go of every aspect of comfort that you thought you had, and step through that liminal space, leading with love only and understanding that you were always held in the hands of grace? No matter how comfortable those things were, are you ready to move past them? I have often found that when we are poised and ready to move past something once and for all, that thing fights like hell to stay in our experience and maintain its hold, its, its hold on us. It is the last gasp of a dying fear. That's a quote that I have held in my heart for the better part of 12 years," from Reverend Donna Michael in Nashville, Tennessee, I've often found that when we are poised and ready to move past something once and for all, it fights like hell to stay in our experience and maintain its hold on us. It's the last gasp of a dying fear, and I had a real challenge with utilizing that last sentence in particular, given the circumstances of our world right now. The last gasp of a dying fear. What a challenging thing to step up and say. But here's how I want to help us all understand what is happening in our world right now. This is what I have come to. The world is literally looking for inspiration. Inspiration. The word is literally related to breath. And so, for me, it is no mistake that what has been so prevalent are the final words of George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. As challenging, as challenging as that is, it is a reflection of what the entire world is looking for right now. It is not lost on me that COVID-19 is primarily a respiratory illness. We are collectively living in that need for breath. We are collectively living in that need for inspiration. And I can tell you exactly how we can find it. Choose to, in your own heart, to decide today to stand up. To Choose today to decide to stand out. Decide today to engage in the collective breath that our society needs. And here's what I know. You, each and every one of you, are a point at which life gets better. Namaste.